You can turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 24, if you would. We're going to continue on in our study. We are out of chapter 23, as Jeff alluded to last week, and we are into a new section of Leviticus, sort of, but a continuation of what we've been looking at. So this morning we're going to talk about the presence of God. And I think we see the presence of God in our passage this morning. And so I hope that we see that as we walk through and as I read that for you in a, in a moment. If there's one person that's alive today that you would like to meet, who would that person be? You don't have to say it aloud, but who would that person be? Who would you, who would you like to meet? What would it be like to be in the presence of that person, especially if that's a really famous person, like a hockey player or a professional sports player or a preacher, pastor maybe? What would it be like to be in their presence? And some of you guys have met some, some famous people, if you want to call them that. We've met them before. And in some ways, they're no different than any other people. But there are people that could walk in the building right now. And if I were to say, you know, look who's here, our heads would turn and we would... Uh, we would certainly give that person some attention, right? They would come in the room and be like, whoa. And there'd be a pause maybe, and some of us would be excited to, to meet this person. They would, their presence would demand attention because of who they are. And it's interesting that if this is true about human beings and about God's creation, then how much more is that true about God, about God Himself? How much more stirred would you be to be in the presence of of a holy God, of the God of the Bible. What would that be like to be in God's presence? And in, in Exodus 40, after the tabernacle was erected, it says, Then a cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When God showed up in Exodus, His glory filled the the tabernacle. Moses couldn't go inside. Or when Solomon completed building the temple and he prays his prayer in Second Chronicles at the end, it says, as soon as Solomon finishes his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When God showed up, His power was on display. And when God showed up, He blessed His people. And I think this is what we find in our, in our passage today We talking as we learn about God and His presence. And there's two images that we see in our passage, light and bread. And they're, sim and they're symbols of God's presence. They're reminders to the nation of Israel that God is present in their lives. And so these instructions, they come after our feasts, but they remind Israel that they're always to be worshiping God. His presence is always with them, not just during the festivals when they gather together and celebrate, but God is always there. He's always in their presence. He's always worthy of their worship. And so these instructions come then in our passage as we walk through and continue in Leviticus in uh, verses 1 through 9. So if you would follow along as I read, please do that. And then we will look at these verses a little deeper. In verse 1 of 24, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring your pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. 
It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. You should take fine flour and bake 12 loaves from it. Two tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf, and you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food offering to the Lord. And every Sabbath day Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. This is the word of the Lord. So we see the presence of God in two ways, in the bread and in the light, in the lampstand. And so the first one I want to look for, we want to look through these verses, and I want to just share with you as you read through what it looked like to go through these rituals, and then I hope that we can tie these things to what these mean for us today a little later as we get into our second point. But the first thing we see in is the lampstand ritual in verse 1 to 4, when we speak of the presence of God. The lampstand, if you, if you do or don't know, I'd encourage you to go and look up maybe a picture of the tabernacle later. If you know, it's a seven-branched lampstand, and it stands about five to six feet high. So this is a big lamp that stands in the holy place. It's one of the pieces of furniture that's in the holy place across from the, uh, the bread that we're going to speak about in a minute. But it was made of pure gold, hammered and shaped into one piece that resembled an olive tree. And so you would have one stick up the middle and you would have three branches off either side of this lamp. And we know God uses pictures of the vine and he uses pictures of the branches and you can't help but think of that fact when you see the lampstand. But it was something that was noticeable. And on either side of the main trunk had three offshoots that had lamps on at the top of each. And so there was lamps in and this was used for the priests to see what they were doing as they were serving God in the temple. And so the first thing we see is that the people were to supply the oil in verse 2 as you read through. God commanded Moses to speak this to the people. Then they had a responsibility with God and in God, in His covenant with them, a responsibility to be a part of it. It wasn't just something that the priests would do, but God's people and all of them had a responsibility to Uh, be a part of the covenant that God had made with the nation. And so the oil came from the harvest that they would have harvested during um, the the olive oil, or during the olive harvest rather, sorry, and they would have brought that olive oil together and supplied that to the priests to burn it on the lamp. And it was important that they took an interest in this because they were very much a part of it. It wasn't that they were able to push off responsibilities for the nation to the priests, but they were a part of it. And the second thing we see is that the light was to burn regularly. Three times in this passage in verse 1 to 4, we see this word continually or regularly used in verse 2, 3, and 4. The light was to continually be lit for the Lord, but it wasn't lit during the day. As we read through the instructions, it was lit in the evening by the priest, and it was to run throughout the night, and in the morning they would put it out, and then come evening again, they would light it again, and it would continually run. It would be something that they would do every single day. It was continually burned before the Lord in his house because the priests needed light to see as they served in God's house and in his presence. But I think as we see that, we also see the reality that God's presence is always and was always with the nation of Israel. 
The light was always burning in God's house. There was always light. And for us, that reality hits home as we think of the fact that God is always present, that He is always in control, that He's always sovereign over all things, that He's always looking out for our well-being, no matter what it is that He is allowing us to walk through, whatever that may be, that God is always present. The sun never goes down on His sovereignty. God's always ruling. And the light was an example or a picture of that. And then we see the priests were to carry out the task in verse 3 and 4. Every morning they were to put the lamp out and they were to light it again come the evening. And in the evening, that was something that they did every single day. And so the priests carried out this task, provided that the nation of Israel also participated by providing the oil. And the priests had a task to do. And then we finally see that it, it was a statute forever. It was something that was a practiced as a constant reminder. And Jeff shared with us last week very well about reminders and how we need them. And this was a reminder for Israel of God's presence, of His covenant with them, of the promises He'd made to them. And they were to practice it forever until Jesus comes, which they didn't know that, but we're going to see that. Remember the presence of God is always with you. It's always with you. And sometimes we fail to live in light of that when we sin, and other times we fail to recognize that God's presence is with us when we feel like we're in valleys. But the reality is, the truth is, and it's been so good to sing it this morning, that God's presence is with us and that He is with us. And so remember God's presence. The lamp was not for God. He doesn't need light. God doesn't need those things. He is light. Remember in creation in Genesis chapter 1 when God speaks light into existence, right? God's the creator of light. And the lampstand would have recalled to mind to the Israelites, certainly God speaking in creation and creating light out of darkness and out of nothing, but it also would have reminded them of their rescue in Egypt, which we have alluded to in the Passover. But you know, when God brought them out of Egypt by His power and brought them into the wilderness... What did he put before them as he led them? He put a pillar of smoke during the day and he put a pillar of fire at night, right? And that fire at night was a light to show them that God is always with them, leading them, guiding them through the wilderness. A picture for us today. And so the light certainly would have had an impact on them when they they practiced this ritual, when they saw this, when they were reminded of God's presence. And then I want to walk through the showbread next in verses 5 through 9 and what the showbread rituals represent to the nation of Israel. Another name for this may be the bread of presence, presence being the face, the very face of God. And it signified God's presence with his people, the bread did. What was brought, though, when we read and as we read further, was double what anybody needed. If you remember in the wilderness, as you read back in the, in the Israel's walking through the wilderness, they were to grab an omer of bread every day. And on the, on the sixth day, they were to grab two omers, which is enough for the second day. And if you notice, as we read through the offerings and specifically the details of the bread that was brought here, it was two tenths of an ephah, which is two omers, which is more than enough for one person. And so what was brought was double what anybody needed or would have, would have been their need. And God accepted that worship and so we see that the people also just like with the lampstand and the oil the people supplied the bread for this particular ritual in verse 5 and 9 a meal that God's people prepared in his home and in his presence 
signifying a thanksgiving to God, a commitment to God for what he had done, for who he was as they bring this to him. And it speaks of in the passage as an offering, a food offering and a memorial portion. They were committing themselves to God and to the covenant that God had made with them. And this wasn't just, as I said already, it was more than what one person needed. This was not um, maybe as you would think of it, just a small little loaf of bread or matzos because it would have had no leaven. But this is like maybe three to five pound piece of bread that came to them or piece of matzos. It was, as we look through, about three to and three and a half pounds of flour were used. So you can imagine the loaf that would have been made. And as we read, 12 loaves are brought. 12 loaves, one for each tribe of Israel, one for all of the people of Israel that God had chosen and made promises to meaning God shares his blessings uh, with everybody and everybody can claim a share in those blessings because of those 12 loaves. All of Israel is included in that. And so it's a significant portion. And we also see the pure frankincense, which we see in other offerings as we read in the first five chapters. As we studied, we see frankincense to be brought. And it was a common use during the regular offerings, the grain offerings specifically. And it was a costly uh, addition to the offerings. And we actually read about how those that could not afford it were not required to bring frankincense before God in that offering. And yet, when we see this ritual done in the holy place, God asks them to bring frankincense to make that sacrifice, that costly addition to bring it before the Lord. And uh, it would be pleasing and acceptable to God. And so it was an element of what God required during this offering. And yet it wasn't placed or poured over the bread because we know later that this bread was eaten by the priests as we walk through it. But in the other offerings, God would put the, offering, the oil right in with the bread and it would be burned to the Lord and accepted by God. And the third thing we see then is that the priests were to arrange the bread in verse 8. Every Sabbath the bread was replaced and new bread was arranged. And what happened was the priests would take the bread and it would be used for them. They were, it was a gift to them. It was given to them by God. And they were to partake of it and use it as sustenance for them as they served the Lord. And so they would eat that only in the holy place. And it speaks of that in our passage that they were only allowed to eat it in the holy place. But it was eaten by the priests. And so Israel, they didn't see what the priests did in the holy place, because it was a spot where only the priests were able to go. We know in the holy place there was the holy of holies, but inside or inside of that same room, or just outside of that room, was the holy place where we see the lamp and the bread, and the people didn't see what God or what his priests did in that place. And yet, it's likely that the priests would have had that bread, taken that bread, eaten that bread in the tabernacle complex, in the temple complex, and so they would have seen tangibly God accepting that worship and that sacrifice as the priests partook of that as they replaced it and then ate it and so God accepted their worship as the priests arranged the bread on a weekly rotation and then finally we see that it is an everlasting covenant it was an everlasting covenant just like the first ritual of the lampstand regardless of the fortunes of the land of Israel these rituals took place and that was the same with the offerings regardless of whether or not you had a good year or a bad year, these things took place. And God is always worthy of our worship. Whether it is on the mountaintops, whether it is in the valleys, whatever He has us walking through, God is always worthy of being worshipped, being praised, and being honored for those things. And so they show their commitment to God, to His covenant, 
by offering these things continually, perpetually, all the time, as an everlasting covenant. And so taking care of the lamps and taking care of the bread was no less significant than the feasts that we've just walked through. They were no less significant. Even though they were minor things, they were reminders of God's presence continually in the nation of Israel. And it's not a coincidence then that Jesus has something to say about both the bread and the light when we come into the New Testament and speaking of God's presence. And so I think we see then the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And there's two things that are very obvious to us in some of the things that Jesus says. But we know, excuse me, in the Old Testament, what does the Old Testament say about Jesus? Jesus is Emmanuel, which is what? God with us. And so God with us is Jesus. Jesus was God in the flesh. God stepped down into darkness, into the world through his Son, and he provided a light for the world. And so we see Jesus say, one of the statements he says in John is, I am the light of the world. And you can turn to John 8 if you'd like to. John 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. What a fascinating claim. It's a, it's a deity claim because he's saying he's the light of the world. And, and who is the one who created light? It was God. And so Jesus is saying, I am God. But he's saying, I am the light of the world. In John 8, he says, and just as what Jesus says, as he spoke to them, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it's interesting as you follow further, as he was saying these things in verse 30, it says, many believed. And so Jesus didn't perform miracles in this case. He, he spoke and he said, I'm the light of the world. And people came to faith in Christ. People believed in what he was saying. And he didn't have to perform miracles. But what's the connection at the end of verse 12 when he says, but will, sorry, if you Whoever follows me will not have darkness, but will have the light of life. What's that connection? Light and life. And I think in John chapter 1, those verses speaking of Jesus coming in the flesh, the Word made flesh, it says this, In Him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. So Jesus, His life, His message brought light and it brought life to mankind. And so Jesus embodied the light of God. And there's no other light than Jesus Christ, than God himself. There's only one source of light. There's only one source of life, and it's God. And so what are you turning to for life? What are you turning to for light, for help? Is it God? Because Jesus says, I am the light. And God says, through Jesus, I am the light. The world needs Jesus as their light to bring them out of spiritual darkness. Because when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he wasn't talking about, you know, I am the flashlight for you in the night when you need to see something. What he was speaking to was obviously the spiritual world that was going on around, the spiritual darkness that surrounded them, the utter darkness. And I don't know if you've ever had a chance to experience complete darkness. I'm sure you've gotten pretty close in the night when, there's, when it's a cloudy night. Um, but I had the privilege of going to Czech Republic a few years ago on a mission trip, and one of the things that they wanted to show us was these old mines. And if you've ever had a chance, even if you're claustrophobic, just do it. Just do it with other people. But go down to these mines, and they took us down there. And so we, you come up to the tun where there's a tunnel shaft that they've built in now, obviously, and used where it used to. They used to uh, send people down. They put these steps in there, and you walk in, and you just start going down these steps, and you feel like you're just going forever to the center of the universe. 
And then you get there, and there's a door, and you open this door, and it's just complete blackness. Your tunnel's lit, and then you're walking into complete darkness. And so we took a group down there, and uh, they showed us around, they walked us through, they gave us lights, and then we got to this spot where we all could kind of fit in together, and he, the guide kind of said, would everybody shut off your flashlights? And so we're in these old mines, these tunnels, and everybody shuts off their flashlights, and it's obviously quiet, everybody's quiet, and uh, he starts talking eventually, but you, he, he leaves a moment of silence in this darkness, and you can't see anything, obviously. You can't see, like, just there's nothing. You could put your hand right in front of your face, you know, you could run through there, and you could do, get away with whatever you want, because nobody can see you if you knew the tunnels. Um, but it's complete black, complete darkness. And that was the state of the world before Jesus came and offered a light to it. And it was interesting, when we were down in those tunnels, you, you turn on a lamp, and then you turn on a few more, and all of a sudden it lights up. But it's very interesting, when you go into complete and utter darkness, and you turn on a little bit of a light, just a small light, and the amount that you can see, the amount of darkness that gets pushed back by a light, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the spiritual darkness of the world. Just like for life on earth, physical light is needed, Bailey loves to plant and she loves to have plants in the house and if you ever come over there's a lot of green and she's got a big aloe plant that sits right in one of our big windows and you can just see the aloe plant glow grow towards the window and I don't know if you've had that with other plants but plants grow towards sunlight they need sunlight and just like physical light life needs light so too does spiritual life and so we need light spiritual life needs spiritual light and Jesus says he is that he is the light of the world. Fellowship, prayer, the Word of God. Jesus is the light that we follow, that we cling to, that brings us life, spiritual life. And so to know the truth through the light of Jesus and to have eternal life, as He says. There are times when the light of Christ will reveal sin. It'll make things uncomfortable because that's what happens. Sin dwells in darkness and loves to be in darkness, and yet the light of Christ shone on that, brings sin into the light. But God's, Jesus' light changes everything. It changes the way that you see the world. It changes the way that you see hurricanes. It changes the way you see cancer treatments or cancer diagnosis. It, it changes the way that you see death. The light that Jesus offers changes everything in our lives. It helps us to bear burdens. It helps us to bear sorrows, as we've sung about. It helps us to bear heartache. It, it offers us hope. And the light of Christ gives us life. And so Jesus says to the people in John 6, I am the light of the world. And then he also says, I am, in John 6, chapter 3, I am the bread of life. John 6, 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He'll never thirst. And Jeff did a wonderful job of sharing that with us last Sunday as he spoke on reminders. We saw Jesus satisfying that and being that for his people. But in this passage, he says, I'm the bread of life. This comes right on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6. And so they come to him and Jesus says to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Meaning that if you believe in Jesus, you believe in who he is, that you will have life. 
And so the people come to him, seeing him as a prophet, because he just performed this amazing miracle of feeding 5,000 people. And they come to him thinking that he's similar to Moses, in the sense that Moses fed them. And they think that it was Moses, really it was God, but they think they kind of compare him to Moses in that passage, but it was God who fed them. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Well, bread is a staple food for just about everybody and anyone. And certainly in the Bible times, it was a staple food. And they wanted Jesus to satisfy their physical hunger. That's why they followed him around and that's why they were pursuing him in this particular case. They wanted Jesus to satisfy their hunger. And Jesus comes and he says that his bread is not the bread that they need, or at least the physical bread is not the bread you need, but the bread of life is what you need. What you need is me. You need the gospel. You need to know that through Jesus Christ, you can have eternal life, life that satisfies eternally, forever. And so what Jesus is saying is, I am equal with bread. Again, not a, not a physical statement, but a spiritual statement that Jesus says. And again, claiming deity, saying he's the bread of life, as God's the one who always provides the bread. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. He's saying, I'm equal with the bread. I'm essential for life. Jesus is essential for life. And he came to save them, those people, us, from condemnation. Not hunger, but from condemnation. And so the bread of eternal life, or the bread of life, the bread of our spiritual life is eternal. It's not physical. And Christ satisfies our hunger. He satisfies our thirst to be righteous before God. He satisfies that. He is that for us. He is our righteousness. And He satisfies that desire to do that, to be righteous. But in order to get the bread of life, you have to come to Jesus. You have to come to Jesus. In order to experience the life that He offers, you have to come to Him. You have to accept Him. You have to believe Him for who He is and for who He said He was. And Jesus says He is the manna that came down from heaven in which if any man partakes, he'll never die. That has as much implications for us today as believers as it does for those of us in this room that maybe have never placed our faith in Christ before. That Jesus would say that He is the bread of life and that if we partake of Him, we'll never die. The bread that Moses gave did not sustain, but the bread that Jesus offers will. It's permanent. It satisfies. It never spoils. It never needs to be replaced like it did in this ritual every week. The things that Jesus says, you can take them to the bank. They're sure to happen. They're sure to be. And they always uh, will, and He will always uh, pull through, and He will always be what He says He is. And we've sung about that so great this morning that it's been great. But by making these statements, He's saying that He fulfilled the function of these rituals that we see in Leviticus 24. He's fulfilled those rituals as He is the bread of life. And so what Jesus has for you and me is an overabundance. It's life. It's life eternal. It's satisfying life. And so Jesus left. We know that at the end of his ministry when he died, when he was resurrected and came back to his disciples, but he did leave. And he says something to his disciples as he leaves. And as he does leave in John 14, or as he speaks of it, he leaves his presence among his believers or among those that are his and that call him the Christ. And so we see then finally in our third point, the presence of God through Christ followers. God's presence is in us. God's presence is with us. 
In John 14, Jesus says, I'm going, but I'm sending somebody that's going to be with you, that's going to dwell and live inside of you forever if you have placed your faith in me. And that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And so in Acts chapter 2, we read of the Spirit coming and descending on the people and filling them. And, and since then, every time that somebody comes to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God regenerates them and it fills that person, that believer, with the, the Holy Spirit of God. And so God makes His presence known to the world by living inside of His people, of His creation, through His Holy Spirit. Not because of us, but through us. And so we see, I think, as the presence of God is in His Christ followers, there's two things for you then as we leave this morning. And the first one is shine the light. Shine the light. In Matthew 5, Jesus says this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house, to all who are in it. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Shine the light of Christ, not your light, but shine the light of Christ that is in you to the world. And the light that you and I bear, it cannot be put out because it's not of us. It's of God. It's the Holy Spirit in us. And so it will be seen. It will be noticed. And as we said, the light of Christ, it makes a difference. The light of Christ makes a difference in the world. And so shine the light of Christ through your deeds, through your actions, through your words. Because everything that you do bears witness to the King that dwells inside of you. Everything that you do, everything that we do in the course of our week bears witness to the King, bears witness to His Holy Spirit that is inside of us. Maybe a question for you. Who is somebody that you would say has been the most radiant with the light of Jesus Christ in their life? Can you picture somebody? Who would that person be? What kind of qualities or attributes did that person have? Somebody that just oozed the character, the love of Christ, the image of Christ. It's not always the smart person. It's not always the talented or the gifted. Sometimes it's the servants, or usually it is the servants, the people that serve. The ones who sacrificially love other people. The presence of light in darkness is something that is unmistakable. And that is the truth for us as believers. Living in a world of darkness, as we live out the light of God's truth that we are and that we bring light. We bring light to darkened hearts, to hearts that don't know Jesus Christ, who don't see Him as their light, and who are living in complete and utter darkness. And yet, as I alluded to in that illustration, if you ever take a light into darkness, even just a little bit of light illuminates in the darkness and, and makes, it a, makes you able to see and brings light to darkness, even the smallest of flames. And so there is a present, immediate, full, free pardon for sinners through Jesus Christ, their Savior. And we don't, want the war- we don't want to be afraid to tell the world that, that it's there for them, that there is a light for them. And so shine the light of Christ in the face of the world who doesn't know Him, but lives in darkness. And we do that by living differently. But then finally we see also, and I would just challenge us then to share the bread, to share the bread of life, that is Jesus Christ. In Matthew 14, Jesus says something very interesting to his disciples. 
when he's feeding the 5,000 on Matthew's account, Jesus says this in verse 16. Jesus said to his disciples, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Jesus, the miracle worker, the bread of life, says to his disciples, you give those people something to eat. And they're thinking, all we have is five loaves and two fish. We don't have enough food for everybody. And yet Jesus asks them to meet that need. Don't just send them away. Meet the need. And you know what the disciples did. They didn't know what to do. And Jesus steps in and he changes the bread and the fish and he feeds the 5,000 through his power. But how often, as the disciples did, as they failed to see in the face of this insurmountable, impossible thing, how are we going to feed 5,000 people and afford that and get the bread for that? And they fail to turn to Jesus after seeing miracles and say, and ask Jesus to do it. And how often do we do that? We face, in your life, you face what feels like an impossible mountain that you're going to climb over, and yet you fail to turn to Jesus Christ, to the bread of life, to the light of the world. You fail to turn to Him and seek Him for guidance, for help. The only one who actually has the power to help in your situation. There are people that are looking for things. You are looking for things to satisfy your soul and your life. And people are doing that as well. That's gonna, what's going to satisfy me? They're trying to find those things. And we have the bread of life to offer to them through Jesus Christ. It's not ourselves, but through Jesus we have the bread of life to offer them. We have something to offer the world. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's what we have sung this morning to each other and in one another's presence. We have that to offer. But the reality is that we all need it. Believer, unbeliever, we all need this reality. Jesus being the bread of life and the light of the world is not just something for those who have never placed their faith in Christ. This is something that sustains God's people throughout all the years that He gives us. Do you believe that Jesus and the things He says gives life to you now, today? That it has the ability to give you life in the, through the situation that you're going through. And is Jesus a light? Can He be? Do you believe He is the light of the world? A light to guide you through whatever it is the Lord has you walking through. Because this isn't just bread, the bread and the light are not just something that we need to give to other people because they don't know eternal life. This is something that we have right now in the words that Jesus spoke through Scripture. So we need Jesus' words to sustain us, to give us life. God was present with His people through the lampstand and through the bread. We saw that and it signified that. But God is also present in His people right now, today. But in a different way, through His Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that He's given us. But the reality is the same for us and for those reading this in Leviticus 24. Jesus, God, is everything. He's everything that you need. Come to Him, pursue Him, have a relationship with Him, seek Him, and you will find life. Let us pray this morning. Father God, we are so grateful for Your Son, Jesus Christ, and we are so thankful that His presence came here on earth to make a way for us to be redeemed, to be forgiven of our sin. We thank You for His sacrifice, His life on our behalf, His death on the cross, that was so brutal and so undeserved. God, we are humbled when we sing about it. We're humbled when we think about it, when we dwell 
on what you have done for us. And yet, God, we are so eternally grateful for what has been done for us. God, we thank you for your spirit that you gave us and have given us that resides inside of us. We thank you for this message that Jesus spoke to us, that he is the bread of life, that he is the light of the world. And our prayer this morning is that we would experience that, that we would experience your Jesus, his life, his presence that gives life to us, to our lives right now, to the things that you have us walking through that are inside of your providence and your good and loving hand. And so God, we are so thankful for you, for what you have done for us, for the, the way that you have made for us to have a relationship with you. And we thank you for your great love for us. God, may it go before us as we leave. And may we, be find, may we find strength and grace to live the lives that you've called us to live in the power of your spirit uh, and through the power of your spirit as Jesus speaks to us in his word. We thank you for these things and we pray that you bless us as we leave. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.